Hey all, Scout with Brian here. I just released a new uh, YouTube video of me uh, just speaking on the secret in basketball, the secret to being uh, a great player, a great coach, whatever it is, um, to help you really improve your game. Uh, so make sure you check that out on YouTube, or you can just listen to it at the end of this podcast. It's uh, about 12 minutes just of uh, speaking, waxing poetically again on it. Um, so I'm attaching that to the end of this podcast. So, uh, again, if you'd rather listen to it on audio, trying to give you guys more options, um, to listen, if you don't love sitting at the computer or, or watching things on YouTube. Um, so the secret, check that out YouTube or at the end of this, uh, I did forget to mention a couple things, um, in my secret video. So I'll give you guys a couple of minutes of bonus, uh, content here. Uh, first of all, <laughs> In said tournament where we got uh, our butts kicked in all three games by 100 points, um, in the last game, I got two, I think two, maybe three uh, technicals, um, and that was because uh, we ran out of timeouts, um, but I continued uh, to call timeouts, and I did that because, like I said, we were down uh, 30 to 40 something, we were getting our butts kicked. Uh, and there were a lot of things going on on the court that just uh, weren't acceptable. Uh, uncontested shots, guys quitting on plays, guys not running back, whatever it is. And so I basically decided I don't care that I'm out of timeouts. You can give me a technical score. doesn't matter at this point. Uh, when I see things that I can't tolerate, I'm going to keep calling timeouts. Um, and so, yeah, it's actually a trick. I, you know, Rick Carlisle's done that in NBA games. Um and he's literally said that, that I don't, I didn't care that we were out of timeouts. I, I just, uh, you know, we needed to say things and, and, you know, we were getting our butts kicked, whatever. So, uh, I kept calling timeouts. Um, so interestingly enough, for the, like the third time I did this, there was like three minutes left in the game and the ref tries to declare the game over. Um, and I kind of went ballistic at that. I, I hadn't given the refs any trouble the whole rest of the game. I mean, we just were getting killed. Um, but I was not going for that. And his explanation was that I was punishing my team and you're out of timeout, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, no shit I'm punishing my team. Um, if, if you wanted to have me arrested because I was doing this in a tie game, Michigan with... 10 seconds left and I'm losing a game for my team, then sure, do what you have to do. But what the hell does the score matter? We're down 40 points. Punishing my team, uh, okay, they didn't play well enough to deserve any sort of positive treatment or, you know, kindness. Um, our play was embarrassing. I shattered a clipboard uh, in frustration because we just did so many um, unacceptable and mind-boggling things, and just uh, most importantly, just didn't have a competitive spirit, didn't have a, a resolve and a toughness and um, an ability to play through adversity and all those things um, that you have to have as a, as a good basketball team. And so uh, it was very disappointing, but uh, hopefully, you know, a good good learning experience for our guys and, and hopefully the lowest weekend they have playing basketball, um, and hopefully they'll they'll bounce back and uh, prove they've got some heart and, and know what it takes to to really play the game. Um, but 
you know, this this COVID stuff too, I mean, it, it's going to, honestly, I think it's going to cost us generation a generation of basketball players. I mean, I, I think there's going to be, you know, coming out of high school, two, three, four years, whatever, like guys that, you know, could have been or even are, you know, end up being top five, top ten, whatever, first-round picks who are not nearly as good as they should be um, because of, you know, what we've made <laughs> made kids do, really, for the last year, at least in some areas, areas like mine, where we've, you know, had nothing going on for ten months, make them still play basketball, not in Virginia, thankfully, where we had the tournament, but practices and stuff in Montgomery County, the most vaccinated county in the country, I believe even the world, 90-something percent vaccinated, still make kids wear masks indoors, um, uh, playing basketball, which, I mean, to me, you know, yeah, I'll be accused of being political and, um, you know, not caring about lives whatever but at some point it there has to be a discussion on you know if kids have as much of a chance of of you know dying or being seriously harmed by this as they do pretty much every time they get into a car you know how long are we going to continue to to do this and I just, you know, you, you again, you can disagree. People don't agree with my politics. Um, you know, people think that that, that means I'm uh, reckless or don't care or, you know, conservative or any of those things. No, I, I think it just means, I mean, you look at the data and it's incredibly low risk to kids. And if they do catch it. You know, yes, the, they can spread it and, and adults can get it. But at this point, I mean, everybody who's wants to be vaccinated is. I'm vaccinated. I had it months before I was vaccinated. I fully support everyone getting the vaccine and we should do more to incentivize as many people getting the vaccine as possible. But I mean, what is what is the end game here? I understand there's. There's new variants and there's Delta and there's things that are caused by not having as many vaccine, not having as many people vaccinated, so on and so forth. But at some point we have to get back to normal life. This can't go on for five, ten years. The goal can't be zero COVID, zero deaths. It's just not possible. It's not realistic. It's not going to happen. So again, at some point, we have to decide is the if the risk is like getting in a car and, you know, there's, there's an infinitesimal chance of, you know, serious injury, death, whatever, especially to kids over 12 who are vaccinated and hopefully more of them under will start to be vaccinated. How long does it go on? I mean, whatever. I I didn't intend to go off on that tangent, but I mean, it's just my point as it relates to basketball was, again, I I think we've, you know, there's a generation of kids now, not exactly generation, but a couple years worth of kids 
I'm coaching, you know, who are ninth graders, 10th graders, whatever, and they were robbed of their freshman basketball season. They haven't played competitive basketball in a year. I mean, they haven't been able to practice. They haven't been able to stay in shape. I mean, they, you know, I'm I'm tough on them and I'm demanding and I want them to play hard and passionate in the right way, you know, but sometimes I don't even know if they like have the capacity to. I mean, I don't I don't know if they're in good enough shape. I don't know if they have any idea what it's like to play against ninth graders and 10th graders in high school, you know, play at that level. Because they've been sheltering indoors, you know, for the past year and a half. Again, you can disagree. I just, that's my thoughts. I know there's more important things in the world than basketball and sports and, you know, physical activity and so on. But it's definitely still important. And we have to remember that that also needs to be a priority, not only obsessively trying to get down to an impossible goal. Anyway, I mean, there's, there was a lot of good learning experiences for us, for our team. There's a good kid, good player, very talented player on the team who, you know, says all the right things. And, and he came up to me post game and said, coach, I, I just want to win. I just want to you know, I'm I'm sick of losing. I just all I care about is winning. I don't care about the stats, blah blah blah. And what I told him after was, you say that, and that that's the right thing to say. I agree. But during the game, we were down thirty, and you scored, and got fouled and screamed and won, in a kid's face, and acted all excited. We were down thirty was another play where you yelled back at your teammates because we didn't get a rebound. We should have got, and, and you screamed something like, how do we not get that? And you were standing at half court. Where were you in the fight? How can you scream at other kids when you you stopped playing? You quit on the play. We got a kid who's four foot something, tiny little dude. Who's a nice kid, kind of isn't, I mean, has skill for his size, which is very diminutive, but skilled, good kid. But he got in the game, game we're getting killed in for two-something minutes, and he quit on a play too. And so I've used him as, as an example. I said, you're a tiny little dude. You, you might only play... Th- two, three, four minutes a game, whatever, if you get a chance. How in the world are you going to disrespect the game by not going your hardest in those two, three minutes? Are you kidding me? If you're this tiny little dude and want to be able to play, it's non-negotiable. Can't have an off switch. Can't ever stop playing. So a lot of good lessons for kids today. Too many kids on other teams that run up the score and throw alley-oops off the backboard and do all sorts of dumb shit in games. They're up 40. That's pretty infuriating, but wasn't going to sink to the level of getting into it with any coach or player or whatever. I just told our guys the truth that we needed to 
have a lot more resolve and compete a lot harder. And hopefully we'll hear that message. And again, at the end of this or on my YouTube channel, you'll see my secret uh, and what I call the the hidden secrets of becoming a good basketball player, a good basketball team. Most of you, I'm sure, have the gist of it already from this. But anyway, um, let's also real quick, I apologize for taking a while to do this. I didn't get, I think only Matt and Mark and maybe another person or two with only patrons that submitted questions. Appreciate your guys' questions, but let me just run through those real quick. Um, <laughs> Matt asked about Cam Reddish. Um, I see a good defensive player who can't create, shoot, pass, or rebound at an NBA level, but he shows flashes and some Hawks fans love him. What do you see as his future? I mean, I, you know, I think that's basically what my scout on him was coming out of school. Um, you know, certainly a good body type to be a good defender, reasonably high motor, although not always, uh, at Duke, um, you know skilled some people say okay he can you know shoot in the mid-range a little bit he certainly can elevate and, and get his own shot off and you know talented but again I mean this is you know similar um, partially because of COVID honestly too but you know if he if he came around 15-20 years ago before you know all the the sense of entitlement and all the you know sucking off kids since they were three years old and 10 million Instagram followers and just, you know, make them feel like they're God's gift to the earth. I mean, you know, people mention like T-Mac and I mean, is he talented enough where if he had just busted his ass relentlessly in his first couple summers and off seasons and just been an absolute maniac with his skill development? I mean, I, I think he's got all the tools to, to do those things. And I think, again, those are the flashes that, that excite people. It's just, you know, is he maniacal enough with, with his work to, to be a T-Mac, to be a Paul George, whatever? I think, you know, he can he can definitely pass at an NBA level. I think that is, you know, one thing that's uh, impressive about him is that, you know, for his position especially, that he can play a little like point guard, point forward. Um, you know, he's got a reasonable feel. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit it on the head, basically. He's got flashes. He's incredibly skilled. He's got all the tools. He's a good defender, good body, you know. <laughs> but right now, yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's probably right now a guy that's a seven, eight million guy, you know, if he was a free agent now and, um, you know. He's got the potential to prove that he can be a 15, 20 million guy. Um, so the difference between that, though, is pretty massive and, and kind of just up to him and how hard he works at it, quite frankly, which, again, is is the secret. Hint, hint. Um, if the Sixers were to trade Ben Simmons, what do you think would be a fair return? Dame, I, I really wouldn't trade him for anything except, you know, if it was to get a Dame or, or guy of that exact caliber. Um you know, I guess theoretically, if there's a team that's offering, you know, two good first round picks and and a young player, and I don't know, I I don't, 
I don't love these hypotheticals. I get the question, and, and certainly Daryl Morey has to think about it, and obviously it's a big discussion piece, but I don't know. It's just more disappointing to me, just like, what's going on? I mean, what is, you know, did Ben, ben got so offended by the Sixers putting his name in trade talks? Like, get over yourself, dude. Like, you passed up a freaking dunk in the Eastern Conference Finals. Like... They're kind of they're kind of throw your name around a little bit when that happens. Doc's Doc's an honest dude. He, he said, you know, I'm I love Ben Simmons. I'm not sure though if, if we can win a championship with him as a point guard. That doesn't mean he's quitting on you. It doesn't mean he hates you. Any of those things, like get over your damn ego. There's all these stories about you spending four years of all seasons working with your brother or whatever instead of you know getting with an elite development guy and working on your shot, and then it was, you know, right when the season ended, there's all this stuff that Ben gets it and knows what he has to do and is going to get with the Sixers and work on his game and whatever, and then what what happened to infuriate him so much that now he won't talk to anybody? The fact that they considered trading him? Get your ass in the gym. Stop posting IG videos, playing pickup with Chris Johnson and dick dunking on everybody and Oh my god, you can dunk the ball, and oh my god, you can make a pull-up in a pickup game. Come on, I think we've proven that's not going to get it done. Fix the damn free throws. Fix the form. Get with NBA coaches. Get with your coaches. I don't know, that wasn't your question, but yeah, I don't know what a fair return. I Again, I, I'd personally only trade him if I'm getting a, a Dame-type back. Uh, I've seen talk about Dennis Schroeder not exactly being loved by his teammates. I've certainly said that from your experience. Is that a real factor in a team's success? 100%? Yes. Um, I, I think he is kind of an asshole. Uh, and there's a reason why he keeps bouncing around from team to team. Um, and clearly the Lakers didn't much enjoy him last season. He's very talented. He's a very good shooter and super fast and a you know good pick and roll player and you know all these things but but yeah I think he doesn't have the the leadership of a of a starting level point guard and you know doesn't uh just doesn't have a great demeanor body language whatever on the court that that doesn't make him really liked as a leader as a teammate so, you know plays kind of entitled and and tends to Calls ruckus and do stupid things and, and, you know, have dirty plays and whatever. Doesn't really back it up with kind of the, the Draymond maniacal competitiveness. Um, so, yeah, I'm not – never been a huge fan. Um, you know, worth it for the Celtics to take a chance on him at the supremely discounted rate. And he certainly could end up, you know, humbled a little bit and, and fiery this year and, and – Looking like he did in Oak City again, which probably is the best type role for him as a as a six man type and scorer off the bench, whatever. But yeah, is him not being loved certainly is a is a factor, um, you know, in leadership and in the success of a team. Mark asked, uh, "Was I ever involved in the Wiz draft process?" I mean, the role of the video room is to uh, you know to do a lot of the draft edits, draft videos. So definitely. Did a lot of that um, in the years I was there, you know, 
I'm not saying those videos, um, you know, it's not like we were telling people who to pick or anything. We were just kind of helping the front office get together uh, videos on guys and, and just have edits for the coaches to watch on players and for the, you know, any of the scouts that, that didn't see enough of a guy in the season. But most of them, you know, most of them watched their own film, obviously saw a million games during the season. Obviously, the GM makes the, the draft selections, you know, with the assistant GM and scouts. And I was in the in the draft room. I was in the war room, but definitely, you know, was not was not the one making the picks, was not consulted on, on the selections. Um, so the involvement was, yeah, I, I did draft edits. I was on the floor helping out for draft workouts when we'd have, you know, prospects come in. So I got to, you know, see them for that. That one day in town that you always tended to overvalue, you know, how they did in that that one day around your organization, although it was a good way to get a feel again for, yeah, what kind of a person they were and, and were they an asshole, you know? We didn't have Glenn Rice in for a pre-draft workout, which would have revealed to us that he was a raging dickhead, um, and that would have knocked him off of our draft board like it apparently did for five to ten other teams, but uh, we didn't have him in, and then we drafted him with a high second-round pick, and it was really stupid of us. Um, so you need to do things like that to get intel and to know, you know, what guys are like personally, what they're like behind closed doors, how they treat equipment managers and, you know, random staffers and assistant coaches and whatever. Um, so, yeah, that was my involvement. Do you think teams feel pressure from all the mock drafts out there, GM job security, fan expectation backlash. I don't think, I mean, I don't think they care about mock drafts. I mean, I think those maybe help them just kind of have a feel for like the range guys are in. And, and those are, you know, reasonably obviously informed at this point. At least the ones that have sources and things, you know, kind of just helps them, <laughs> um, you know, have a feel for where everybody's going and what teams are thinking. But no, I don't think they feel pressure from uh, from mock drafts. I mean, GM job security kind of, I mean, yeah, that's kind of a different thing. Fan expectations, um, you know, there, there's pressures and there's things that the teams feel to an extent. But for the most part, I think they are pretty good at tuning out the peanut gallery, not caring what the, what the blogs think or the fans on Twitter. I mean... There's definitely been some examples of, and I've said, you know, the those things having an impact. I mean, I think, you know, Mello being blackballed from the league in the first place had a lot to do with the perception of him on Twitter from the analytics dudes that thought he was garbage and done and, you know, wasn't willing to adapt. I mean, some of it had to do with him, but some of it also had to do 100% with, you know, people just thinking he was washed. You know, well, the analytic consensus becoming that, he couldn't play anymore, and yada, 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 and it wasn't true, and it, it took a year off Mello's career, and that really sucked, um, so it does impact things sometimes, there's some teams certainly that have let, you know, f uh, angry, raging fans, like, run a coach out of town sometimes, stupidly, um, you know, I'm struggling right now, I mean, like, maybe Terry Stotts would have got fired after you know, this past season, but, but if we don't have the, the social media bubble and the echo chamber being as loud as it got in Portland of those fans, um, you know, I, I don't know, maybe in another era, maybe 10 years ago, 
they keep their loyalty to him and say, you know, he's our coach for as long as he wants to be, like Rick Carlisle in Dallas. I mean, he's done a good enough job with the talent we've given him to, that you know, that we need to, if we're going to be a championship team, we need to give him better players, and maybe this is just our max, blah, blah, blah. But, uh, yeah, I think the, you know, fans uh, can impact it in shitty ways sometimes like that. Last question, what are your thoughts on the new look Heat this season offensively? Uh, good. Um, you know, I think their identity will be on the defensive end, and, uh, you know, that's the Heat culture really at its heart, and Tucker will help a ton with that, and, you know, Larry obviously, and Jimmy, and, I mean, they've got so many good defenders, um, and that'll, you know, that'll get them back to their culture, and I think, They'll be good enough offensively. Um, you know, I don't think they, you know, they're not going to jump off the page as like a top three to five offense, I wouldn't think, but top ten-ish they should be. Um, you know, and I think, I don't know, it, let's say I, I pick them down for like seventh or eighth in offensive rating and first or second in defensive rating. You know, teams that have that kind of profile, as you know, Mark, I, I think – have a pretty good chance of being in title contention. Um, so I think they'll be, uh, you know, right there with Milwaukee and Brooklyn um, at the top uh, of the East. So those are my thoughts. Again, appreciate you guys tuning in. Check out The Secret on YouTube or right after this. Scout with Brian, YouTube, Instagram, B Oringer, B O R I N G H E R, N B A, on Twitter. And then patreon.com slash guy with Brian, the best way to support. Even a couple bucks a month, get access to submit questions for mailbag episodes like these. Um, 60 bonus videos, lots of other cool perks and keeping me going. I really appreciate the support of the hundreds of you on Patreon. Thanks a lot for listening. Do me a favor, leave a review if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts. would be much appreciated. Uh, but... Talk to you guys soon. Hey guys, Scout with Brian. Brian Oranger here. I wanted to come on and wax poetically for a bit and tell you guys um, the secret of basketball for really any players, coaches, anybody trying to make it uh, to the next level or a higher level or just get better. Um, you know, there's a ton of players, kids that always just, you know, think there's a magic trick and, and a secret. Um, to, to really improving and to becoming a, a good or great player. Um, and they're absolutely right. There is. Uh, and I'm going to tell you what it is in this video. Um, and it's really earth-shattering, and I think it's going to change your life. Um, so without further ado, drum roll, please. Here's the deal. The secret to basketball is there's no secret. Sorry to be a little cliche, but it is, I promise you, 100% true. The secret to success in basketball is far more about resolve and mentality and just the way you conduct yourself and play the game than it is about, you know, your skill set or, or your fundamentals. I mean, all those things for sure are unbelievably important. The game is about, you know, having, you have to be skilled, you have to be able to shoot, pass, and dribble, you know, you have to be disciplined, you have to be fundamental, all those things. But 
even if you have those things, if you're not a relentless competitor, if you don't play hard every second, you have no chance. And that is, honestly, it's a huge separator uh, between, you know, pros or, or high-level college players, whatever, and guys that, that don't get it and don't make it. Playing hard is a skill. It is. Hustle is a skill. And you could look, I mean, it's how many guys that are, you know, mediocre in terms of athleticism that went on to be defensive player of the years or, or top ten picks. I mean, Joachim Noah, Nikola Jokic. I mean, you know, Giannis obviously is a freak, but, you know, he, he's self-made. He went from being a 15th pick and a skinny little Greek kid to the hardest-playing guy in the league right now, the, the closest thing the NBA has to to Kobe in terms of just that killer mindset, that Mamba mentality. He gets it. And again, there's way too many kids today that, that, that don't get it. Um, I'm fresh off coaching a tournament this weekend uh, where we lost all three of our games by a combined around 100 points. And it's embarrassing and the worst I've ever felt as a coach. Um, you know, and, and the sad thing is we got a good group of kids and and they nod their heads and they, I, you know, they understand the message and I think it's starting to get through to them and I hope to God it gets through after this weekend. But, you know, we, we had an off switch way too often, way too many plays. And, and a coach we even went against yesterday, uh, you know, a game that we lost by 30-something. He even came up to us post-game, and, and I didn't even realize what he was doing, but, you know, I saw he was, like, shooting around our post-game huddle, just messing around, whatever. And I guess it turns out he was actually just trying to be, like, close enough to hear some of it. And then after our, our huddle, he, he comes in and says, say, Coach, can I say something to the team? And he basically said, well, I'm telling you right now, and he was 100% right that the game is about – up here and he said you know you guys you have good players you, you you have some guys that can go but you know we got up 15 or whatever and, and your resolve went like this you, you stopped competing to your fullest you know you stopped making us uncomfortable you stopped making us have to do something new that we weren't already doing um you know and it was Again, 100% right and, and refreshing and, and the truth. A, a guy that gets it. You know, I, I respect the heck out of that. Um, you know, again, <laughs> I mean, we, you, when you lose three games by 100 points, uh, I told our team, we were, without question, you know, we were physically overmatched. We don't have a single kid that can dunk. You know, we, we got nobody really over like six feet. Um, the other teams are got six, seven kids that can dunk. They're throwing alley-oops off the backboard. They're flying all over the place. And, and it's hard to beat those kids. But if you don't play with 100% intensity every single possession, you got no chance. If you got two or three guys on the court playing hard at all times, you got no chance. If you got four guys playing hard, you'll lose by 15-20.
That's what's amazing and just great about basketball and why I love the game so much. It is about five guys playing in conjunction, playing together. I mean, there's a Coach K metaphor he's used where he's, you know, gone up to guys at practice and, and hit them like this. Does that hurt? What about that? Adding a finger each time. Does that hurt? But when you have five guys together, like a fist, that hurts. Not two, not three. Together. And it's got to be everybody. It's got to be everybody playing in conjunction, playing hard, playing on a string, fighting for each other, diving on the floor, having that standard of excellence. So again, if you're you know a kid trying to reach the next level and just whatever that is for you, it might not be NBA, it might be your high school team, it might be you know low level college, whatever it is, you know guys have different different ceilings. Not everybody's going to be a, a superstar. But the biggest thing, again, I can tell you from from being around pros, from being around Bradley Beal and John Wall and Paul Pierce and all the the vets I was lucky enough to be around in my seven years in the NBA. They they got it, and those guys did not have an off switch. Paul Pierce, at 35 years old, whatever he was when he was with us, I mean, he was three hours early to every single practice, the first one there, drenched in sweat, going through a full workout three hours before every practice, the first one on the court. After a game, when he's like the oldest dude on the team, first guy there, worked his ass off. And if you watch Paul Pierce play, I mean, you knew he's a, he's a kind of tubby, 6'5", whatever, 6'6". You can say whatever you want about him as an analyst, but, I mean, when he shot the ball half the time, he's like willing it in and like doing this after he shoots it and like, you know, nothing about his stuff is like picturesque basketball. But you know what he did? He outcompeted everyone. He had fucking heart. And he worked on his game relentlessly and he competed his ass off on the court. And he's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, you know, again, <laughs> hustle's a skill. It really is. And you got to first have that mentality. Because, you know, there's a lot of kids even, like I said, we, we got our asses kicked. And there's a lot of impressive kids on other teams and kids that can dunk and, you know, do all this highlight reel type things. But eventually, you know, they're going to hit a ceiling too. Because at some point you're going to go against kids as tall as you, as athletic as you, as gifted as you. And if they have more resolve, if they compete harder, if they play tougher than you, if they're more physical, you're going to get exposed. That's how the game works. So again, the biggest thing that you need to realize about the game of basketball is it's really about the sum of a million little efforts every single day, every single game, every single practice. It's not about stats. It's not about highlight plays. not about how many points you scored, how many plays went on YouTube or Instagram or any of those things. 
it's about doing the right thing, making winning plays every time. And when you train your motor, your body to never quit on plays, to sprint back every single time, to control what you can control, to block out, to cut hard, to run the floor hard, all those things, that's getting it. That's how you become a really good player. That's how you give yourself a chance, a chance to win games, a chance to compete at a high level. As much as people think NBA players don't play defense or you know love these viral clips, whatever, the truly elite ones, the Kawhis, the Steph Currys, the Giannis's, the LeBrons, they don't have an off switch. Most of the guys in the NBA, the ones at least that are successful and rotation players, they don't have an off switch. If they have any element of an off switch, then they get exposed or it's the reason why they can't break through in the playoffs. But that's the secret. Again, that there is no secret. That's about work. It's about mentality. It's about playing hard every second. Playing together, not quitting, not getting down, understanding it's a game of runs and you're going to give up. Have some ones where you get outscored 10-2 or 12-2 or whatever in a minute or two. But who can keep playing? Who can push through that? Who can not give up even against a much bigger team? Who can stay together and talk and communicate and hustle on every single play and fight for every single ball? That's the secret. That's what the game is really about. Thanks for watching. Make sure to hit that thumb up button, subscribe. I've got lots of high-level film studies and in-depth things to help you as a player as well, but I think that's an important secret to really getting it and having success at whatever level of basketball you're at. Scout with Brian, the podcast, YouTube, Instagram. Thanks for watching. Take care.